this is Terry Beatley, your host of What If We've Been Wrong? I'm shining light into some dark places so that beauty, goodness, and truth defeat the schemes of the enemy. It's true, people are perishing for lack of knowledge, and we're instructed to have nothing to do with the evil deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what I do on What If We've Been Wrong? Rethink, explore, and uncover some hidden truths so that more people can experience an abundant life and the joy of being set free from the shackles that hold us in prison. Welcome to What If We've Been Wrong? All right, it's 2020, and just recently we had the Super Bowl. And the whole nation's talking about it, that uh, halftime show. Uh, Was the halftime show pleasing to you, America, or did it it kind of pierce your head, your heart, and say, you know, is that really how American women need to be portrayed in such a sexual way and to also have such, you know, to have children up on stage and to be pushing such a sexualized message? Um, I believe, you know, here uh, in this day and time, we are living in such a sexual hedonism America, and it's time to rethink the direction that this country's been on. And this is why I want you on the show today, listening, listening to this interview. Uh, I'll be talking with Jason Evert, who is a who's a internationally acclaimed speaker. He goes globally teaching young people, high schoolers and college age, and maybe even older people as, as well. Um, the why why chastity, why the virtue of chastity is so important, and we need to return to that. So today's show on what if we've been wrong, we're going to be revisiting, you know, the direction this country's gone, and how something like that halftime show, which was basically pornography, it was pornography. I mean, I don't need to be seeing some woman's rear end on primetime TV. I don't need it don't want it. The children of America don't need to be um, given these messages. I was going to say subliminal messages, but there's nothing subliminal about it. That was a sexualized, hyper-sexualized performance. So Jason Everett, welcome on to What If We've Been Wrong. Well, thanks for having me on. Well, I think you're a name that everybody needs to know and, and, and a speaker that, that you, I think you should be in most venues all across the United States. So you are an author, um, you're a speaker, you've gone way beyond just the borders of, of the United States. And I just thought, let's first start off with why. Jason, what led you and your beautiful wife, Kristalina, into this ministry that you call the Chastity Project? Why did you all begin this ministry? Oh, well, there are a couple of reasons. One, when I was in college, I was leading high school retreats, and on these retreats, the young people would open up to me and share about all the the struggles that they were going through, and so much hurt and confusion and heartbreak had to do with just an absence of formation on the topic of just authentic human love and chastity. And I realized, man, if if this piece of their life could just be in the right place, how much suffering could be alleviated um, if they just knew the difference between love and lust and knew their worth? Uh, At the same time that I was doing that, I was also doing crisis pregnancy counseling where I was talking to women who are contemplating abortions. And, you know, I would do this as a sidewalk counselor, which means you're standing in front of an abortion clinic, not in judgment and wagging your finger, but offering these women other alternatives, you know, adoption and things like that or financial assistance. And, 
you know, after three years of doing that, I really felt late. Like, why am I meeting this woman a half hour before her abortion? You know, why can't I meet her when she's 17 years old, you know, before she ever met this guy? Because maybe if she learned about chastity then, she never would have dated this guy to begin with. It wouldn't be in this difficult situation. So I realized to save the most unborn babies, I really had to swim upstream to the root of the issue, which was unchastity. And I started to read the writings of St. John Paul II, in particular his book Love and Responsibility. And I discovered just a beautiful vision of what human love is supposed to look like, and that chastity is not this neurotic, repressive attitude towards our bodies, but is really a gift that frees us to love and know if we're being loved. And I started to share that message with these young kids on the retreats and and the, the light bulb just was going on with these kids. They they were thirsty. I mean, they're starving for this message and their response to it was so enthusiastically and overwhelmingly positive. Um, I just began to saw that as an antidote to so much of this hurt and just started spreading that message and then gave one talk and then another. And before you knew it, it was 100,000 kids a year. And then now, 20 years later and 2 million teens later, uh, you know, the, the, the message continues to be needed now more than ever. Jason, that's amazing. And I'm curious because now you've had a couple, almost like a, well, one full generation if you've been doing it 20 years. So these people are now, some of those married and with children and all. Um, do, do, do you ever get any mail, you know, 15 years later? Thank you. Thank you. Do, do, with the feedback the long-term feedback? Yeah, that's one of the most exciting parts of being in the, this season of ministry there right now is that I'll come and speak at a high school and a teacher will come up to me and they'll say, hey, I was a teen at this high school when you came 15 years ago. And then he pulls out his wallet and shows me his chastity commitment card and says, yeah, I got married six months ago and I gave it to my wife on her wedding day. Oh. You know, and, you know, I made it, um, <laughs> you know, or or priests coming up to me or, or religious sisters or nuns sharing that what a huge role it played in their vocation and discernment process. Um, you know, I'm even having people bring their teenagers to my talk who themselves heard the talk, you know, 20 years ago. Wow. And so it's, it's, it's beautiful to get to see it start to come full circle. Well, it's like you're in a, a new season of your ministry. Um, so I, I found one of your quotes online. It said, chastity isn't about fulfilling a bunch of, I mean, following a bunch of rules so that you don't go to hell. It's about wanting heaven for the person you love. I just thought, wow, I guess that, well, that was attributed to you. Is, is that your quote? <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay. that, that's my quote. But the, the underlying idea behind that was from John Paul II, where he said that chastity can only be thought of in association with the virtue of love. Mm -hmm. That's why we choose this lifestyle. It's not because I'm afraid of chlamydia, you know, or I'm afraid, you know, if, of unwed pregnancy rates or whatever. It's no, I want to be free to fall in love with someone for all the right reasons, mm -hmm. you know, not to satisfy merely selfish base impulses, but because I want to make a gift of myself to this person and not just tonight, but forever. And so it's, it's really a positive message. Like the message of modesty is not that, Oh, your body is bad. And Shakira's body is bad. Uh, like, no, the body is good. And that's why it's not placed on public display like we saw on Super Bowl Sunday. Mm-hmm. Right. So talk to us about theology of the body. You know, what is it? And assume whoever's listening right now, they've never even heard those words, theology of the body. How would you sum it up? 
Well, Theology of the Body is the popular title given to a collection of about five years' worth of sermons that John Paul II gave in the first five years of being Pope. And the basic message of it is that, you know, we're made in the image and likeness of God, not only in the fact that we're spiritual beings, but our bodies tell us something about God, too, because God, in his very essence, is not— isolation. God is a communion of love, of life-giving love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so likewise, in our bodies as male and female, we likewise are created to be a communion of persons and life-giving love. It's stamped into our bodies is our identity and our calling to make a gift of ourselves in love. And so our bodies are good, our bodies reveal God, and reveal our, our calling to love like God through a total gift of ourselves. And we can do that through the married life. We can do it through the priesthood religious life. Um, but our life only makes sense to the extent that we make a gift of ourselves to others. It's so beautifully put. I can tell you've been at this for a very long time. <laughs> oh, you're so <laughs> articulate on it. So with the young people, um, what, what, what feedback, let's just start with the guys, you know, in this crazy upside down world that we're living in now that right is wrong and wrong is right. And I, I, I mean, the Super Bowl, I, I didn't even watch it. I only saw parts and pieces of it, uh, but it only took 30 seconds to get the gist of it. And, uh, but what, what are the young people telling you? Cause it seems to me they're up against they're up against all odds. They're surrounded, Jason, with sexual hedonism. So what do you tell, say, young men how to prepare themselves for this when they walk out into the world? And, I mean, young women, they don't even know how to dress anymore. How do you prepare these guys? Yeah, yeah, and I don't think it helps the young women that their role models, so to speak, like the people on the Super Bowl halftime show, right. you know, are parading their bodies around like their body parts are the best thing that they have to offer the world. And, you know, like you, you know, I didn't see much of that. You know, Super Bowl halftime commercial, you know, or the show came on. I saw what it was about. I'm like, okay, I'm out of here. Right. You know, I just left the room, went over to my six-year-old daughter's room, and she and my three-year-old son did my hair with little barrettes and all kinds <laughs> of stuff. And, uh, you know, I just had some fun time with them. And, uh, you know, and then came back out at some point in the third quarter. But, uh, you know, we've got to have custody over our eyes. But then we've also got to realize that the human body does not – really deserve simply an answer of no. No, your body's bad, I'm leaving. Um, it deserves of like a, a yes, like your body is worth so much more than this. And, you know, I'm not going to degrade you by, by looking at you at the way that you're presenting yourself to me. I'm going to remove that from my eyes, but then let, let's pray for these people. You know, let's use the beauty of the human body for what it should be. It's an invitation to love. It's not an invitation to use and to lust after. And so, well, how do you, how do you love someone who's dressed immodestly? Well, pray for them, intercede for them. You know, you're, we're not here to say, oh, I'm better than you. It, it's like, no, your body's inviting me to love you. But by the way you're presenting it, I'm tempted to look at you like a thing. So I need to step back, look within myself and ask God to teach me how to truly look at you the way you deserve, with love and reverence and intercession. So you can actually temp transform temptation into, into intercession by doing this. And I find 
young guys are hungry for strategies on how to do this. I mean, one boy came up to me after the talk. I gave it his school, and he said, you know, I'm really struggling, Jason. He said, I go home from school on Friday, and I watch 12 hours of pornography on Saturday. I go to bed, and I watch 12 more hours of pornography on Sunday, and then I just come back to school on Monday. And I'm thinking, like, and he said, I don't even enjoy it anymore. It disgusts me, but I don't know how to live without it. Now, imagine this poor boy asks your 15-year-old daughter to homecoming. I mean, he has no concept, not only how to look at a woman, but how how to treat her as a human being. And so we have to help our young guys and girls to avoid this junk on the Internet and to to protect their own imagination so that they can be free to love. Wow. And that's a real story that you just shared, 12 hours plus 12 hours. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've... Well, I've I've seen a lot more than that in the high yeah. schools and in the grade schools. I mean, I got a letter from a girl and she said, you know, I've been addicted to hardcore internet pornography for years and I finally broke free and I haven't looked at porn in two years and I'm hoping I can stay strong because next year I'm going to high school and oh. I know the temptations are going to be more difficult then. So, I mean, you got to understand, like, yeah, parents giving their kids like unfettered access to an iPhone 11, you know, at nine years of age with no filters, with no security stuff. And so by the time they get to high school, their concept of human love and sexuality has already been completely warped. It has definitely been warped. So with the, okay, well, let's go back to theology of the body. Teach us Mm -hmm. something else about theology of the body. You kind of summed it up, you know, what it is, and that was a beautiful summation. What else would you want listeners to walk away with? So maybe they would even be interested in reading something about what Pope John Paul uh, wrote about what we call theology of the body. What else would be of interest? Yeah. Two little nuggets. One would be, uh, you know, really defining, well, what is human sexuality for? Like, what is the very meaning uh, of the the marital act of husband and wife? And John Paul would say what that is, is it's the wedding vows made flesh, that when you stand on the altar, you promise, do you come here today freely? Yes. Will you be, uh, give yourselves totally to each other? Yes. Will you be faithful? Yes. Good times and bad. Will you welcome children? Yes. And so you promise that your love is free, total, faithful, and life-giving, And then you leave the church, you enter the sanctuary of your bedroom, and on your wedding night, you speak the vows, not with your words, but with your body. I give myself completely to you. I hold nothing back, not even my fatherhood. I give myself to you faithfully, not just with my body, but my imagination, my heart. Everything belongs to you. And I give myself to you in a way that's fruitful. It's ordered towards the giving of human life. It's not contracepted, aborted, and sterilized. And some couples hear this, and they think, well, you had me up until then, but I mean, what are we supposed to have, 10 kids, 15 kids? I mean, it's just not realistic. You know, what the church would say is that if you have to space out children, you can use what's called natural family planning. And that's not the old outdated calendar rhythm method that had a failure rate of 30%. Modern NFP is 99% effective with zero side effects. Right. And husbands can learn from this that, like, your body's the body of your wife, like, it's perfectly made. She doesn't need drugs and pills and barriers and all this stuff. Her body needs to be understood. And with that understanding, you can plan families in a natural way with no side effects. And so there's really a beautiful system that God has already bought, built into the human body. And our job is to listen to that. And so John Paul just invites us to speak the truth in our bodies, that when a husband and a wife make love, they're speaking the truth. I am completely yours. 
But if two people are sleeping together without being married, they're speaking a lie in the language of the body. The body's saying, I'm all yours, but in reality, that's just not true. And so that's one tidbit you could get from the theology of body, that language of the body, theology of body. Another interesting thing he brings up is that in the beginning, when Adam first looked at Eve's body with that pure heart before original sin, Eve experienced what John Paul said, all the peace of the interior gaze, meaning she had a deep peace in her heart, knowing that the way that he looked at her was as his respected and beloved companion, not as an object for his selfish consumption. And nowadays, uh, this rings true because a woman knows deep in her intuitive heart, if a man is looking at her as, as something to be used for his gratification, or is he looking at her with reverence? And so when a man works on growing in this virtue of purity of heart, he can actually give his wife this gift of the peace of the interior gaze, that I know he's looking at me with love. And this doesn't mean without passion or without excitement or some cold, sterile view. No, I mean full of love and full of passion, but not in a lustful way. And, and this allows a woman really to open up um, emotionally and relationally to a man because she's not viewed as something to be consumed uh, for his enjoyment. And so this is one reason it's so important men grow in purity of heart so that they can be free to love. Because if I can't even say no to my sexual impulses, my yes means nothing. And to my listening audience, that is why I wanted to interview Jason Everett today. And we've just completed the first little section of this interview. And I want to make sure uh, everybody listening has the talk radio app and that you don't change that dial because uh, we're going to be coming right back with Jason Everett. We're going to be digging into this more. But Jason, you speak so eloquently. I don't see how anybody can top you in this. So we will be right back. It's your news and entertainment network. News blogs, informative podcasts, entertaining videos, or listen to 24-7 Talk Radio on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We the people, AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. All right, you're back on What If We've Been Wrong, and my guest today is Jason Everett. And Jason, I was just going to say when we were offline that it almost makes me want to cry because I, I think of all these young men, the, you know, the teenagers, the boys and girls who are so being misguided. And also, though, how so few pastors or priests uh, even talk about human sexuality and if they do, maybe it's in such a clunky kind of way. And I just think, wow, what a better world we would live in if everybody understood what you just went over, and embraced it, lived it, and how much, I mean, just the world would be so different. There'd be, their marriage would stay intact. There would be less, fewer broken hearts. There would be thriving families with lots of children, you know, and children are a blessing from the Lord. There would be fewer sexually transmitted diseases, and there would be just more kindness and love. I mean, real 
love in the entire world if people understood what you just went over. So I'm, I'm sort of wowed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. You, and, and ultimately, well, go on. Oh, no. Right then I was thinking about you have a couple of different resources that are new resources. Would you tell us about those, particularly the ones that are going to help with this whole dating scene? So you have a couple of resources. Yeah. I think um, one. So we run a website, which is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 we run a website called chastity.com, and that's where all, all our resources are, the different books and CDs and videos. Uh, but uh, several years ago, we wrote a book for women called How to Find Your Soulmate Without Losing Your Soul. And it became a real big hit for young adult women and college girls and high school girls. And people started asking me, well, where's the book for guys? Where's the book for guys? You know, I'm like, well, guys don't read, you know, so I'm not going <laughs> to bother with that. But guys kept bothering me, like, no, we, we're literate, you know, we read. So uh, I started writing this book for guys. Uh, and I realized a major problem is that guys are told everything they're not supposed to do. You know, you're doing this wrong and don't do that and you can't do this with a girl. But they never really learn what they are supposed to do with a woman. And so when it comes time to actually date a girl in high school or college, like they have no idea what they're supposed to do. And so I started writing this book to the guys. And I'm thinking, OK, here's some dating advice. But then I hit kind of that writer's block and I just felt like something's missing. And I realized it's because I'm just giving them advice from me. They don't want to hear me. They want to hear the girls. So I put a little survey on our social media accounts and I asked the women, hey, you know, if, if you could talk to guys and tell them what would you want them to know about dating? How would you want to be asked out? How do you not want to be asked out? Dating etiquette, all these kinds of questions. And I said, girls, just put your comments below in the section there and I'll, I'll integrate them into the book. And boy, did the floodgates open. I mean, within hours, more than 1,500 women had submitted more than 30,000 words of feedback, which was longer than the entire book was at that point. And, uh, but I learned so much from what these girls had to say. And I put it all into this book for the guys called The Dating Blueprint. And just some of the nuggets I got from the women, you know, one thing was that, that when you ask a girl on a date, not only a, you have to do it face-to-face. -face. You can't hide behind your stupid cell phone or a text or an app. Ask her out face-to-face. -face. But when you ask her out, there's one word the guy has to say when he asks her on a date, and that is the word date. Because if you don't say that word, she doesn't know what you're talking about. Because if you say, hey, we should get together sometime, we should hang out, we should get a coffee, in her brain, it's like, well, wait a minute, hang out? Like, like, are we going to play Minecraft together? Like, what, what are we doing hanging out? Like, is this a date? Is this intentional? Is he pursuing me? Does he just see me as a friend? But when you pull out the actual word date, hey, I'd really like to get to know you better. Would it be okay to take you on a date this weekend? Bam, you are starting that with clarity, with intentionality. You're not leaving her to wonder, you know, what, what, what your intentions are. And, but then likewise, when a relationship is maybe ending, the ending should be as clear as an intentional as the beginning, meaning you shouldn't do what's called ghosting, which is when you lose interest in someone and then you just disappear and fall off the face of the earth. And the girl is left to think, okay, well, does he not like me? Is he really busy? Did he get abducted by aliens? Was he deported? Right. Like, where <laughs> did he go? Like, that's not fair. Like, you have to have the guts to have a hard conversation. And it mm -hmm. might hurt a little bit for her, but it's a lot better than leaving her in this, this limbo of uncertainty for months on end, wondering what she said or did wrong. Mm -hmm. And so we tried to put all these tips of dating etiquette 
into that book, The Dating Blueprint. And then secondly, we just published a book by a gal named Kelsey Skoke called Uncompromising Purity. It's not just a guy problem. And so this is a book that helps women struggling with their own purity issues, whether it's pornography or whatever, because Kelsey realized growing up that whenever anyone talked about porn or lust or whatever, it was always, well, this is a guy problem. And girls have emotional issues and guys have temptation. And she said, that's not fair. So many girls struggle with this stuff. And we're made to think that we're like a freak of nature, you know, if we're struggling with a guy problem, that lust isn't a guy issue, it's a human problem. And so we need a resource for women on how to tackle that from a female perspective. And mm-hmm. so those are the couple of the newer resources we've come out with. Okay. And, and give your website address one more time. It's at chastity.com, which is C-H-A-S-T-I-T-Y.com. Okay, good. And I encourage everybody to go there and, and check out these resources. So, Jason, what would you, what would be your recommendation if a if, um, young lady, whether teenager or in her, in her early 20s, doesn't the age really doesn't matter, but uh, she's asked out on a date, and she knows that the last thing she wants to be doing is dating some guy who looks at pornography because she will never be able to compete with the harem that's stuck in his head. How do you, what do you recommend to young women and young men? Because, I mean, obviously the, the reverse can happen. The women are looking at porn and, and the guy's not. But um, what, what do you recommend in even getting that issue out on the table? You know, because it's like, yeah. what, what do you do here? Yeah. Well, first thing, uh, we need to make sure that the women aren't thinking that if only they had a better body, then they could, could compete with the women in porn. They can't because the women in porn can't compete with the women in porn. Right. It's not as if one guy finds a favorite picture on a website and he never looks at another one. No, I mean, it's a harem of imaginary brides, as C.S. Lewis said, meaning he's never satisfied. He's, he's trained himself to be bored with mental polygamy. And so there's no way you're going to captivate that guy on an ongoing basis by becoming his little real-life you know, porn star. No, you let these guys know straight up, if you're into that stuff, I'm not going to date you. You can have your pixels or you can have a person, but you may not have both. And so this is not something to be tolerated in a relationship. It is infidelity, and it's not fair for the guy to just foist the problem on her. Well, you're just you know, a prude, and all the guys look at it, and I'm not really doing anything. It's like, yeah, you are doing something. You're having an erotic moment with your laptop. That's really messed up. You know, I don't want a husband who's got to slap his laptop shut when my five-year-old daughter walks in his office a couple years from now because she can't see what dad's seeing. It's not the husband I want raising my kids. And because the purpose of dating is to find a spouse, I'm not even going to begin dating you if you're still looking at this junk. Because the guy might say, okay, well, I won't look at it anymore. Okay, great. That's like saying, okay, I had a spear in my stomach and now I pulled it out and I'm healed. Okay, great. I'm glad it's out, but like your your innards are on the ground right now. You need to heal. You need serious surgery. You need physical therapy. It's not just the removal of the porn. There needs to be healing from its effects in a lasting way in a man before he's even ready to date anybody. And so girls, don't be afraid to be upfront about this stuff early on. You know, hey, do you look at that stuff? Uh, yeah, I mean, once in a while, sure. If that's his attitude, get the heck out of there it's not your job to be his mom or his messiah no i mean you can be his friend or whatever but don't 
do not date a guy who looks at porn because it's simply cheating and you don't have to put up with that. Right. Okay. That's great advice. And I love the words you use. It's either pixels or a person, but it cannot be both. Make your choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, that's fantastic. And I asked that because somebody I'd known her, her daughter began dating someone and her daughter was always fairly shy and, and, um, and, but she, she told her mom, one of the first things she asked was, do you look at pornography? And that's actually where I got that quote from. Cause she told him, I, you know, I, I, I will never compete with with a harem stuck in your head. And I know what you mean that one kind of porn leads to another, to another, which is probably why child pornography now is so rampant. Cause after these people have seen so much, it just, it just, the path is just greased right to child pornography. Um, okay. So Let's see. What about young women? So some of the biggest challenges with young women are, I mean, so is how common is this, Jason, about young women looking at porn? I've never really considered that, young women looking at porn. Um, un- yeah, unfortunately, it's becoming more and more and more common. And often it's a, a curiosity of just like, okay, what do I need to look like? And what do I need to do? And who do I need to be? But like women were never created to be porn. I mean, they were created to be loved. And so they need to like make sure they're not slipping into the curiosity of just like, okay, well, if this is what guys want, then I just need to pornify myself and then I'll be more uh, desirable to men. Right. It's like, no, I mean, you don't want to roll around in the mud with pigs because, you know, you're, you're just going to end up muddier when it's all done. I mean, like just you stay out of the pig pen altogether. And so some of the girls are struggling with this stuff because their boyfriends are like, hey, let's look at this together. Or, you know, some and then some girls, when they start looking at it, just feel so ashamed. They don't get help. They don't go to confession because they think I'm too ashamed. Right. And that cycle of shame and isolation just spins in deeper on itself. And another big problem is not this that the girls are looking at porn. The girls are becoming the porn where the guy will tell the girl, hey, why don't you send me some, you know, revealing half naked picture of yourself? And the girl's like, oh, OK, I'm dumb. I'll do that. You know, and then she texts him some immodest photo and tells him, now, don't show that to anybody. And he's like, okay, and I won't show anyone for five, right. five minutes. The team sees the picture, and then they share with their friends. And, the, and then the girl commits suicide a week later. Like, this is happening all over the place. Oh. And so we need to teach the kids that you send these photos, ma'am, you just basically gave up your rights to that photo. That could be stuck online until you're a grandma. I mean, if you are in possession as a guy of these photos, you're in possession of child porn. You text that to a buddy of yours, you just distributed child porn. Mm. I know a guy who lost his full ride scholarship to play football at the University of Arizona for doing this with his cell phone. And so we've got to educate these kids. I One website I really recommend for parents is called CovenantEyes.com. And at CovenantEyes.com, you can do uh, you can set up an, uh, a filter for their phones, their iPads, their MacBooks, their PCs. And if you use the, uh, the word chastity as a promo code, you can test it out for a month and see if it works for your family. Uh, but y- this is mandatory in my eyes. Like you got to put filters on that stuff. We have to know what they're looking at. Um, one other thing I'd recommend for parents, if you just text, uh, there's a phone number. It's, uh, what is it? Six, six, eight, six, six. So six, six, eight, six, six. And you text the word safe to that number. Mm-hmm. You will get an immediate text back and it'll sign you up 
for, I think it's seven days of emails where you'll get one video a day and they're like three minutes long each and it'll explain how to set up internet safety all through your house. Because you might think, okay, well, I got the house secure because I got the back door locked. Well, yeah, a burglar can come in through the window. Okay, well, I shut that. Well, yeah, he can get down through the chimney. He can come up through the basement. And so this, these seven days of videos that are real short will walk you through. Okay, open your kid's iPad. Now go to settings. Go down to notifications. Slide over this privacy tab. And it's just the stuff the parents like, we don't have the time to figure this out. But if someone can give it to me in a three-minute video, and by the end of the week, I could have my house on lockdown and the kids are safe, man, and it's free. So it's just Excellent. 66866. And you text the word safe. And uh, and it, I, I don't run the ministry, but they gave me the, the code of how to do it to share with parents. Excellent. And it's just, uh, it's an awesome resource. And I've done, done it myself for our family. Wonderful. Okay. Oh, boy, the things I wish I'd known. You know, my kids are grown now, but I, I should have had much more safety protocol, you know, on cell phones and all that back then. Let's see. So well, let, you don't want to, you don't want to wait <laughs> Just one thing, you don't want to wait too late, even as adults, because one of the top places kids see porn is their grandparents' house. Oh, because gosh. grandma's like, oh, hey, good to see you here. Play with my cell phone, kid. And oh. the kid goes off in the next room, and she doesn't have internet porn filters on her phone. And oh. after two minutes of, of that kid on Instagram or Twitter or YouTube, who knows what he's seeing? Right, exactly. And the thing is, these images, and maybe you know enough about the science behind this, the images can stay imprinted for a lifetime or for years. How do you get, how, is there a way of deprogramming the mind from these images? Is that possible? Yeah, well, I mean, it is. I mean, it takes time according to the severity of the images and how long you've been exposed to them and any addictions that you may have had. Because, I mean, you know, it's sad by the time a kid gets to college, he could have already seen 100,000 you know, pornographic images. And it's almost like Jesus. if I were to ask you, like, you know, what's a favorite present you saw that you got as a kid or, or what's the last four digits of your phone number or, you know, what is, you know, your kitchen sink look like? Immediately, you just pulled all those memories to the forefront. But where were all those thoughts before I asked you that recall them? Well, it's like, well, I don't know, buried somewhere in my brain. Well, where, what happens to these hundreds of thousands of images that these adolescents are branding into their brain? It's like getting shoved into this closet somewhere, but then they try to enter into a romantic relationship or a marriage and experience mm. sexuality as God intended, and it's like opening up this closet with 10 years' worth of garbage jammed into there. I mean, it's a, it's a dumpster fire of uh, uh, what ends up happening in their sexuality. So how to rewire the brain? Step one is to get the stuff out of your life. Step two, if you can't get it out of your life, you need counseling, and don't be ashamed of that. And then step three is like when those memories come to mind, maybe those flashbacks of things that you've seen, uh, stop. And instead of, I'm not going to think about it, I'm not going to think about it, I'd encourage people, no, think about it. I want you to pray specifically for that person. Where is she right now? Is she deceased from suicide? Is she on drugs? Is she still in the porn industry? Did she leave five years ago and she's trying to raise a family and get her life together? Like She's real. She's out there somewhere. Mm -hmm. Let's take that memory of her and let's pray for her. Let's respond to that temptation to lust with love. And I think if you persevere in doing that, your mind can begin to heal and transform the way you think of women. Now, it is a process. Don't get discouraged if it doesn't. All the stuff doesn't go away after a month 
or year or two years. I mean, they say sometimes it takes five minutes to look at it and 15 years to forget what you saw, but the brain has a neuroplasticity to it. It can be bent in the wrong direction and also bent back into the right direction, but it Mm -hmm. does take some time and there will always be a bit of scar tissue there. And, and what I hear is, is, is you're humanizing the person. So that woman in that pornography video, it's really transitioning her from, okay, from an object to no, she's a real human being. And what a lot of people don't know, Jason, I know you know it, but it's worth stating that a lot of the women who are caught up in at least these, you know, the videos, the movies, they don't even want to be in that position. They've been forced to be. Uh, in that position of pornography so but that's a whole nother topic (laughs) so uh, yeah yeah no I mean the whole industry is fueled by the sex trade industry the whole porn industry but like yeah I mean porn exists because it reveals so little about women and what I mean is like what if you knew that that porn scene that that woman was sexually abused by her uncle when she was 12 and when she was 16 she was raped at a party uh when she was 18 she got out of the porn industry and she's had four abortions in the industry and in fact in that scene that you just watched she did conceive a child that was her fifth abortion and then she did leave the porn industry she is now struggling with depression anxiety and cutting herself now we just revealed the whole woman how arousing could that scene possibly be for you if you saw the whole woman? Right. That's why porn can't reveal too much of the woman. It would kill the industry because it relies on us seeing them not as persons but as things. Perfectly said. And with that, we will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older. Until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa. Award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Hello, this is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, the host of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am also the founder and CEO of an organization that stands behind injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is called The Wounded Blue. Our website is thewoundedblue.org. We have produced a film. It is an important film. I urge you to watch it. The film details what happens when a police officer or law enforcement officer is shot or stabbed or beaten or disabled, seriously injured in the line of duty. Most people think they are taken care of medically and financially. The reality may be quite different. It is called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. The film is available on Amazon, iTunes, and the Microsoft Store. All right, you're back on What If We've Been Wrong, and I'm talking with Jason Everett right now, and Jason, 
this issue of homosexual behavior versus same-sex attraction, um, you know, we've been marketed to up one side and down the other, and that if you dare to not be an advocate for homosexual behavior, you know, acting out on those thoughts or whatever, um, that you're a homophobe and all this, and I say, no, that's not true. And um, I, I know you've worked a lot in this area and you've counseled a lot of people. What, make heads or tails out of this whole thing about homosexual behavior versus uh, same-sex attraction and why one is about sex and the other is about um, living a chaste life. Um, so can you add anything yeah. in here? Yeah, I think for people today, especially young people who may experience homosexual attractions, the world will tell them, look, like, you only have two options in your life, okay? You can either hide in the closet out of fear that if anyone knew you had these feelings, they'd hate you and be bigoted against you. Or if you don't want to live in the closet, well, come out of it and embrace your sexual attractions as your identity. Forget about God, the church, and the Bible, and do whatever you want with your body. Gay pride or gay shame, what's your choice? And so some people understandably feel a little stuck here. Well, I don't want to throw a God, but I mean, I mean, sh I shouldn't feel ashamed of someone I'm attracted to. It's not like a choice. I mean, will people hate you for having the feelings? Yeah, I mean, some some people will. You see them on TV. They have their protest signs. You know, God hates gays. I always, I always say, no, God hates your stupid sign. Okay, right. that's what he hates. But <laughs> the, the fanatics like that right. Right. make everyone think that if you believe in traditional marriage, you're nothing but a hateful, homophobic bigot. But this isn't true. The virtue of chastity stands above these two extremes of hiding in a closet and marching down a gay pride parade of acknowledging, yes, I do experience these attractions, but my attractions are not my identity if you experience homosexual attractions, your identity is your beloved son or daughter of God the Most High. You're a child of God, and that's your identity. And some people might say, okay, well, fine, fair point. I'm God's child, and God loves me, but I still have these attractions. So what are my options in life? Basically, you know, obey the church and live a life of misery, loneliness, depression, and isolation, or disobey the church and go to hell? Like, is that really my two options? You know, death by damnation or death by desolation? I mean, neither option seems that great. And this is where the church would explain that, that no, like, chastity does not involve s denying your identity and living a life of misery and loneliness. It's an actual affirmation of love and understanding that love does not require sexual expression to be genuine. And because these concepts are hard to wrap your mind around when you're in the middle of all this, what I recommend to people is, look, go to our website, chastity.com. Click the button homosexuality, watch the videos, read the blogs. They're all done by people who experience these attractions and choose to practice chastity. And you can't take my word for them. You have to watch them share their stories because they say, yeah, I used to live that lifestyle and I, I was happy as I knew how to be. But now that I've started practicing chastity, I'm actually a whole lot happier. And I actually agree with the church teaches about marriage and human sexuality. These people's voices, you almost never hear. It's like right. they don't even exist. They're like some unicorn out there, but they do exist and they're living fulfilled, happy, joyful lives uh, of love 
both for God and for others. And so, but like I said, don't take my word for it. Go to the website, watch them sh- share their stories, read their blogs. They're beautiful people, and on, they're well on their path to sainthood for sure. Well, that's that's a great summation. I encourage everybody to go onto your website and read through those. And you're right; they they are the untold stories. I mean, you really have to search for them. So what happens, though, to Jason Everett when he's supposed to be going over to Ireland as an invited guest speaker at a university, and then you get disinvited? What was all that about, Jason? And didn't that just happen, like in the past month or yeah, so? Yeah. What happened? It was just about a, week and a half, it was about a week and a half ago. I was scheduled to give seven talks in Ireland, and about a week beforehand, uh, you know, headlines started to show up in the Irish news. You know, you know, this is one headline I've got here. It said, uh, untold damage could be done if someone like this is allowed unfettered access, access to a young captive audience. And it's putting the safety of the LGBT students at risk and cause lasting and damaging effects on their <laughs> mental well-being. And so I was like, whoa, like I'm, I'm coming to the campus to do a private retreat for the Catholic college kids on, on chastity and dating. I'm not doing a, a talk on same-sex marriage or whatever. Um, but the, the people saw, well, wait a minute, this guy agrees with the church's teachings on marriage and contraception, and oh, we can't have this hate speech on our campus. And so the university pulled out, banned me from the campus. Wow. Uh, several Catholic high schools backed out. A hotel that was going to host me for a talk said, we're out of here too. You host the talk somewhere else. Meanwhile, several talks jumped in and said, hey, if you don't want them, we'll have them over at our parish or our cathedral. And so instead of seven talks, we had five that were still booked to go through. But unfortunately, as I was getting ready to go on the trip, our family got nailed by the flu and eight of the 10 people in our family got the flu and our baby who's three months old got pneumonia. Oh, and so uh-oh. I couldn't leave the family because every, I mean, every, it was an infirmary. It, it was, <laughs> you know, and I could like you had a, your own little hospital you know, there. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, a priest said to a friend of mine once, he said, don't become a street light only for your house to become dark. Right. And so <laughs> what, what am I going to go do? Fly to Ireland to tell people about love while leaving my wife you know, you know, with all these sick kids and herself sick. And so, so now, right now we're trying to arrange rescheduling of Fantastic. the presentations. But uh, after the talk was canceled at the university, like the LGBT community put out these tweets. Like one of them said, uh, this truly shows the support for diversity and inclusion on campus. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Banning someone from speaking shows our support for diversity and inclusion. Mm. It's like, well, you know, they're really celebrating nobody's diversity but their own. Like, this isn't inclusivity, it's exclusivity. Right. And, you know, someone put a comment on Twitter after it was canceled, and they said, this is fantastic news, he was canceled. I will sleep happy tonight knowing that our children are safe. And so this idea that chastity is like a threat to your mental well-being unfortunately shows how far Ireland has sunk away from, you know, the faith of its fathers. And it's become really, you know, a, a country searching for its own soul that's that's had this newfound freedom that I'm not sure it knows what to do with. But there, there's great warriors with boots on the ground there that are trying to renew the culture, but they're up against this kind of stuff. Incredible. Well, and then just with that whole abortion issue that, um, you know, the bill, the law that was passed allowing abortion in Ireland— I just think, you know, where where's the Catholic Church in all of this? Where's the Catholic Church? Uh, hopefully you had lots of churches and 
basilicas or what have you throwing their doors open for you i would hope so jason i mean you come with yeah. incredible <laughs> what did you or is that worth even talking about right here <laughs> uh, uh to, to put it bluntly a priest told me that the church there is a corpse um, and that's the, what the, I was the Ireland spirit, spiritually is a corpse. Sure. Um, you know, I mean, there's, you know, there, the, granted, there is a faithful remnant, uh, devout, wonderful, holy people striving to keep the faith alive. But by and large, and for the most part, it's in pretty bad shape over there spiritually. Mm. You know, and, and I don't want to act like, you know, we've got all our stuff together here in America and Ireland needs all the help, you know. Please, I mean, we've got plenty of our own problems right. uh, to sort through. But unfortunately, once you kick the Holy Spirit out, a priest told me spirituality cannot exist in a vacuum. Kick the Holy Spirit out, and a different spirit is going to fill his place. Right. And unfortunately, that, I think, is what's taking place. Mm. So, okay, wh where else are you booked? Are you uh, any other countries? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, our schedule's booked about a year out. Um, okay. So this Wednesday, I'm heading off to uh, Nebraska, then off to, uh, let's see, Jersey, and then Columbus, California, Boston, Indiana, Denver, Guatemala, Toronto, um, and so on. And so if someone wants to check out the schedule or come with us on our pilgrimage this summer to Rome, uh, you just go to chastity.com and see if we're coming to an area near you. And if we're not, um, then how to book a talk. And we'd be happy to come to the Catholic okay. schools or the public schools in your area. We take the religious content out for those talks, uh, but you can get all the details at chastity.com. Okay. In terms of... The reception of the even the teachers at the schools that you go to, do you get pushback in any way, or are they are they just so well, like particularly in the public schools, uh, or do, wait a minute, do you get invited into government-run schools? We do from time to time. It's not as frequent as it used to be. Usually the pushback happens before I come yeah. rather than after. Because once they hear the message and the kids like it and they're clapping and lining up afterwards to get all the free chastity books we give away, you know, the teachers don't have much to say because like, wow, you know, I thought these kids would, you know, be throwing stuff the whole assembly and here they are mobbing his chastity table and taking all their books and wow. breaking up with their boyfriends and all that stuff. Right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, usually the battles are fought beforehand. Uh, one public school canceled my talk in New York a week beforehand because they were afraid that I would say the word marriage during the talk. So they canceled the entire assembly because they didn't want the kids to hear the word marriage. Why? I, oh, I mean, well, I, I understand the history of Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood and how you know, her brand of sexual hedonism, hedonism has been institutionalized and government-funded and that is the worldview, and it's the worldview of many social workers and all this. But, but what was the reason for banning you because of the word marriage? They, they wouldn't explain, but if I had to take a guess, it, was, it would probably be because my understanding of marriage, as they would say, would be uh, that's heterocentric or heteronormative, oh. meaning I talked about marriage with my wife and this and this, and I never talked about marriage between two men, and therefore I'm, you know, excluding people. And they didn't say that, but if I had to guess, that's probably where it would have been right. coming from. Um, so, yeah, no, so a lot of the battles are fought before I show up. I mean, some, but, but you know, the, the ones who argue after the talk aren't the teenagers. You know, the, the ones who sometimes complain, it's, it's the teachers who aren't living chastity in their own lives. Right. And they're, and they're teaching in a Catholic school, and they don't like that someone's coming in and actually teaches what the church teaches on these things. 
Wow. Well, I, I wish I could just follow you around for about 30 days and see what it's like. <laughs> well, we, we know the oh, back history, and America hasn't always looked like this. If you just look at our country until, to a large degree, and I'd like to hear your rendition of what led to where we are today. But what we, you know, the part I'd like to share is that we do know that in the early 1900s, Margaret Sanger's worldview, she's the founder of what we call today Planned Parenthood, her worldview of contraception, sex without consequences, she began pushing for this and she had very little support. And she had little to no support uh, from, she had no support from the Catholic Church and then very little support from the non-Catholic world. Uh, but but yet today we live in Margaret Sanger's world. It's her worldview of sexual hedonism, controlling births, and and of course now we have a full blown abortion. Uh, but this is Margaret Sanger's worldview becoming institutionalized. So and to me the root is embracing this whole contraceptive mentality. Which well actually let's go over Humana Vitae with a few minutes we have left. You can add your thoughts about the history of this and then how we, we, there was Pope uh, Paul VI who warned, right? He warned what would happen in a contracepting culture. Would you like to share some light on this? Yeah, if anyone wants to look it up, it's in Humana Vitae, Chapter 17. He makes certain prophetic announcements of what's going to take place if contraception becomes the norm. You know, and you know, one thing he said is that you know, men growing used to contraceptive means are going to lose respect for women as their respected and beloved companions and see them as objects for their selfish enjoyment. Yep, uh, it'll say that we're going to have a gradual lowering of morality among young people. Check. Um, you'll have greater infidelity within marriage. Check. Um, Governments are going to use this for population control. Check. Everything he said, he, he nailed, you know, 50 years ahead of the game. And if, if someone wants it just from like a scientific perspective, well, what's the big deal? Um, there is an article in a, uh, a journal put out by the Kinsey Institute of all places, the University of Indiana. And that's not a conservative, you know, thinking organization. They had an article that they published on the sexual hookup culture on college campuses. And toward the end of the article, they made a really interesting point of where this came from. They say, in from a perspective of evolutionary biology, the, within animal species, whatever sex, male or female, has the longer reproductive rate, meaning how long it takes them to complete one act of reproduction, that one it has a lot more to lose for making a dumb reproductive choice. So for the human species, it's the woman. It can take her a year and a half by the time she, fertilization to gestation to delivery to lactation to taking care of this baby. It's a gigantic investment. Whereas for the male species of the human race, the reproductive rate could take five minutes and then that's it. And the journal pointed out that what contraception has done and, and whoever has the lower reproductive rate tends to be much less choosy when it comes to sexual partners because they stand to lose less. And what contraception did is it gave women the reproductive rate of men. And as a result, both partners became far more careless with regard to who they were sleeping with. And it opened up a door for just this widespread promiscuity because of, hey, if I can sleep with you without having a baby with you, well, then that's not that big of a deal, is it? And now when you have males and females thinking that way, 
you have the implosion of civilization itself. Bingo. And, uh, and you read all about it in Humana Vitae. Uh, I can't encourage people to read that document. And I think it's one of the most prophetic documents, like, of the last 200 years. I mean, everything he warned came to fruition. And, uh, and let's just go over those points again. So we, that men would lose respect for women in a contracepting mm-hmm. culture. Uh, there would be a decrease in morality, an increase in infidelity, mm-hmm. and then government would take control over health care, and they would use it for means of population control. Bingo, check, check, check. Everything, oh, yeah. everything happened. Uh, and yeah. the interesting mm-hmm. thing is I would venture to say most Catholics still haven't even read the document. You know? No, no, they're arguing against something they haven't bothered to read. Exactly. You know, the church's teaching is so simple. It's just that, look, people, love, marriage, sex, and baby go together and in that order. That's right. it. <laughs> and once we start moving them around and separating them, you know, civilization becomes a mess. And so keep them in that order, and, you know, civilizations thrive. There you go. Nobody says it better than Jason Everett. So I really encourage you to go to Jason's website. That's chastity.com. Uh, if you need those sorts of um, resources, he has them right there for sale. And Jason, thank you for being on the show today. All right, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure, and I would just please ask your listeners to please pray for all the young people uh, we speak to. We really appreciate it. Yes, and to cover you in prayer for all of your travels as well, and that the Lord would open up more and more doors, even in the most challenging places in the communities that initially don't want you in there, but we just pray that their ears would be open to hear um, a message. It's a message of truth and love and one that will bring sanity back into a world that's really upside down. So uh, thanks for listening today on What If We've Been Wrong, and make sure you have that app, the Talk Radio app, uh, 24-7, and you know to where to be at 1 o'clock, 1 to 2 on What If We've Been Wrong.